Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. I'm a journalist, author, interviewer and broadcaster. And one of the books I wrote, or rather co-wrote, was with Nancy Griffith. It's called Other Voices. And she subtitled it A Personal History of Folk Music. Nancy and I worked on that book and published it in 1998. It's now Christmas Eve 2021. And I'd like to make a podcast in memory of Nancy, who tragically passed away prematurely this year. What you're about to hear is the first 10 minutes or so of about 15 hours of tapes we made for the book. By the way, it's long out of print, but I'm told there are some copies available on eBay. Alternatively, if you want to read some of my articles about Nancy, check out my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com. Either way, what you'll hear is Nancy talking about her parents' love of music, the music she encountered as a child, and about jazz and skiffle and pop and people like Elvis and Bob Dylan. This podcast is in memory of Nancy. It's my tribute to the woman, and I hope it helps some fans deal with the loss. Can I sit here? Sure. Yeah, two credits over both. All right, so you're not going to have the guitar out and the gold oh. discs are limited. <laughs> okay, the most obvious starting point is, I mean, I watched the video and you said the kind of origins and you said to me before, the origins of the album were, the first album, just to give the original context, right? Uh, were a conversation with Emmylou at a particular point, but that the idea had been kind of uh, rummaging around in your brain for like 10, 20 years. But is there another moment right back in childhood that you think could have maybe even again been the, the, the true beginning to this. A feeling when you first heard this kind of music that you wanted, that you said, that's what I got to bring forward. Well, I think I always had a respect for passing it on because right. it, in my, my father had always taught me that, you know, musically passing on. Right. And I first learned of folk music through my father. Okay. And so, you know, I, I think that just that tradition was kind of instilled in me, just like he's a barbershop quartet singer. All right. And that's a tradition that, that his bass? passes on. Yeah. All right. But okay. folk music is this, is this love as well. But, you know, All right. just that whole thing of where well, you have to preserve this, you know. Like music as a communal, form of a communal expression, whether it's a quartet or the people. And, yeah, and, and basically as a narrative of the times that you live in. Was that always that kind of... You said your dad and your mother were beatniks. Yeah. So was that part of their philosophy, like music as a reflection of folk culture or popular culture or history or social events? Well, I was think that always the way you looked at the family looked at it? My, my dad, definitely, yeah. and my grandfather. Um, you know, both of them were very mu musical. All right. And both singers, both tenors, and, you know, just uh, and very, um, you know, music was a sacred thing. And you, All right. You pass it down, and it should be enjoyed, and it should be shared, and there should always be music in the family, and that's passed on from one generation to another. So we, was the family pop snobs? Um, you know what I mean? Like, I think, again, yeah. I think my mother and father were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What anti like show tunes, Tin Pan Alley, the pop idols, all that stuff, rock and roll. Oh no, they loved rock and roll. Okay. And my mother loved jazz. I mean, she was a right. real big jazz buff, you know. So. The side of me that, that cherishes Count Basie and big right. band music and stuff like that, that really comes from my mother because that's uh, not my dad's thing. But would you, would you also have perceived that jazz at that level, at a core level, is also an expression of, of, of people? Yes. You know, from the New Orleans bass coming in from Africa, all that stuff, would you have seen that's as legitimate? You know, when the jazz singers were sometimes would cross the line in folk or blues, you'd say it's all coming from a similar core. I do, yeah, because, I mean, jazz is a... It's a true uh, American art form, you right. know, 
and some say the only. Yeah, I've seen lots of people claim Ellington, as you know, one of the or Basie, as some of the the, the great original American artists. Right, you, I agree. You, you agree with those kind yeah. of perspectives? And just like I, I agree that folk I mean folk music encompasses a lot of things. Yeah, um, like rap music is folk music, as far as I'm concerned. Okay, all right. Because it's an, and it again a true original, you know. Right, and it's an expression of an urban folk culture. Right. Yeah. So would you, well, I mean, I've, I've talked to even Chris, Chris Darfson about that, and he said that, like, when rock and roll, you've talked about Holly, but you see Presley's first album was sold as a folk album. If you look on the back of the album that has So Glad You're Mine, which is Arthur Crudup, it says this new emerging, it's, these are the sleeve notes from 1956, this new American folk artist. Now, that was either RCA didn't know what the fuck they were talking about, <laughs> or somebody was spot on the button. Because Chris Robertson said to me when he was in Memphis, and he heard these rockabilly voices, he just thought that's just the same as Guthrie or whoever, that's whatever right. folk country Jimmy Rogers. This is all the same. Again, you have that kind of incredibly wide span reading of. Right, and I think that just in that, um, you know, it's it's like Rooney was saying yesterday that Sonny Curtis and Buddy Holly, you know, and J.I. and Joe B. They all started out, and Glendy Harden, of course. Yeah. I mean, you know, they they would tell you they started out listening to Bill Monroe records and um, listening to, to Hank Williams. And they were into folk music. That was their thing. And Woody Guthrie. And, and yeah. they were very into to, uh, folk music. In, in fact, um, J.I. said that, that the first time they went to England to play, uh, they met Lonnie Donegan, you know. All right. And yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they were here in Rock Island yeah, and yeah, all, this, yeah. all these folk songs turned into skiffle. Yeah. And they were very inspired by that. They were already oh, into okay. their, they were They're already all... the crickets. They were already into this rock and roll. But they thought, wow, it's universal, you know, that 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 this this stuff is turned into, uh, skiffle is just what we do, you know. We took this Bill Monroe and Hillbilly and folk yeah. Woody Guthrie stuff and we kind of stirred it up a little bit. Yeah. No, well, that, that's something that, again, I was saying this yesterday to me is so ridiculously marginalized in terms of British pop culture. The skiffle influence, you know, uh, Donegan doing Lead Belly and having hits, that was actually a year before rock and roll. Right. I mean, he had it, that was 55. So it was like it was Ain't That a Shame was a hit over here or whatever, or Pat Boone was covering that. Donegan was getting to the top of the British charts as the Lonnie Donegan skiffle group with Rock Island Line. Right. And then the Beatles, of course, started off a skiffle group. John and Paul, their first band was skiffle. So it made absolute sense, the washboards. And to me, that was like, it was working class culture. But you couldn't afford the kind of the instrument, so you made up, uh, you improvised with with a broom handle or a washboard, and you got the rhythm out of that. And that to me is the same as blacks on the delta. It is. Or, or what is or, that? Uh, hillbillies in the Appalachians. Yeah, know? the same kind of bass. So it was a lovely image of uh, who was that? Buddy Guy, when he couldn't afford a guitar, he just put elastic bands on on nails, in his in his cabin. And that was where he started, like, trying to pick tunes. Wow. And I just love that image. I mean, you can't get more basic than that, you know? You can't play that on stage. Right. So talk, what, what about the element, though, of pop snobbery? Would you have also, at a point, thought just mainstream popular music doesn't say anything about the people? Um, no, because I had such a... You know, when I was a child, Bob Dylan was such a massive star. All right. And my sister was so into him. And... Um, that was popular music because right. Like a Rolling Stone was being played on the radio every 10 minutes and it was six minutes long and it yeah, was yeah. folk music and so, but it was still, it was pop music. But the folkies rejected him. That's when we were joking about that. We were talking about that yesterday and Jim writes about it in his book. I mean, the, the demarcation lines and would your parents or your elder sister 
have said he has sold out because he's gone with the Butterfield Blues Band and this is not folk anymore. Because that happened in Ireland. He was booed off the stage in the Adelphi in Dublin, the most famous concert with the band. So, I mean, with, with those kind of prejudices that even Dylan, though you say he was pop, he's gone and sold out. Would you have felt any of that in the family? No. All right, okay. No. My parents didn't like him to begin with. Did they not? They, well, they, they always said, you know, they would tell you, like my dad would say, if you're going to listen to this, go to the source. Okay. So he would get out all of his Woody Guthrie records and right. he's passed them on to me. Now I, now I have all my dad's old Woody Guthrie records. All but, right. um, you know, he would say, always say, go to the source. Okay. This is what this sounds That's like. Great. This is what this is, you know. This is what Bob Dylan is. And but I, I don't think he was paying attention. <laughs> so there's that snobbery again, you know. It's all like, right, to what Dylan was saying. Yeah, I don't think he was paying Even attention. Even when Dylan did Guthrie, he didn't see that as legit. Um, the talking New York blues and all that at the very beginning. Right, and um, I think that he saw it as legit, but he was also saying go to the source here, and okay. so therefore okay. I don't think he, you know, I don't think that he ever sat down and analyzed the fact okay. that that Woody Guthrie took all these old lead belly uh, yeah. melodies yeah. and put new words yeah. to them. I mean, because yeah. uh, Ramblin' Round is Goodnight Irene, and, um, right. you know, there's there's the, um, what is it, the the... The damn song is a, is Grand the Rock Island Line, yeah, yes. and yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. they're all they're all intermixed. So I don't think my dad ever. So he stopped at one point. Yeah. But this is where the, your, your these two albums start, isn't it? Like your dad sitting here down and saying, "Go back to the source too." Yeah. Like- Hi, Joe Jackson here again. I thank you for listening to this edition of the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast. Don't forget, if you want to read some of my articles, check out my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com.